Greetings everybody. It's such a blessing for me to come to you today and minister the message of God's grace to you. And God's grace is the power of God, the influence that God has on physical human beings through the resurrected Jesus seated at the right hand of God from where all life flows. What an awesome foundation. What an awesome bedrock from where we can minister today. I would like to welcome everybody that has slotted in for the first time into our webcast today as well as to all our regular viewers. It's wonderful to have you here and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Let us pray together as we start this service. Father, I want to thank you that we can be here together. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that I can stand inspired by the, lo the, the love and the life of God bringing the gospel to people today. Thank you for speaking powerful, powerfully through me. Amen. Today we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to continue and I talk about Romans, but before we do that, as our custom is, we have communion together. And I'm going to share inter interesting scripture with you today, some scripture that we uh, have preached a lot about in the charismatic church and that is the one about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk a little bit about that and tie that in with the communion. It says here in um, Acts 1 verse 5, it says, For John truly baptized with water, and we know that the baptism of John was unto repentance, meaning that we have to repent from the law system to believe on the one that is to come. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now that is amazing, especially if we understand what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit means to have the very force of life that caused Jesus to be raised from the dead, who is the very power of God, poured out onto you from where Jesus and which is also the power through which Jesus rules and reigns in your life. Jesus says, if I don't go away, then, or he put it this way, if I go away, it would be better for you because if I can be raised from the dead and go and sit as a human in equality with God, wherein I have the rule over all kingdoms and all physicality as a human that has attained the very fullness of God, then I can, in my rulership, pour out what I have in bringing you to where I am. And that is not talking about a relocation uh, unto heaven, but actually a changing of condition which means that Jesus is now standing in immortal, incorruptible flesh, uh, it, wherein he possesses the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and then he can take us to where he is. And that is that condition. Glory to God. It's like a rich man and a poor man. If uh, the, the rich man can say, listen, it's better for me to go away and do some business so that I can come and bring you to where I am, having the riches in mind, not the place from where he does his business, and uh, bless you. 
So that is what we need to see. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit was what Jesus had in mind. So when we look at the communion, when we look at the the body that was broken, what are we celebrating as a web family today? We are celebrating the fact that there is a human being seated at the right hand of God that has provided his flesh as food for us. What that means is that Jesus says that, and that is from John 6 so beautifully, 638 onwards, he says that, my flesh is meat indeed, and your fathers ate the manna that fell from heaven. But my flesh is the true meat that will give you the food that will bring everlasting life. So what did God give man to eat? He gave man to believe in and eat. It means to believe in, to grab a hold of, to make your food. He gave us a resurrected, eternal, glorified human body that was broken first, then glorified, so that we can say that body, uh, the old body, was broken and then resurrected in the new covenant from where we can partake of glorified flesh as the truth about us from where God conquers sin in the flesh for us. That simply means we believe this and we find God working us. Glory to God. Man, this communion message is such, carries such powerful truth that we can basically just have the communion and end the service right here. <laughs> it is the gospel. Now, let me thank the Lord Jesus for what he's done for us and for what he's busy doing in the world. Uh, and then we're going to use the communion together. Jesus, I want to thank you for your obedience even unto death. I want to thank you that you are the ruler and the king and the Lord who lords it over us in serving us with your life. Thank you that we can partake of your life and that you made yourself available in obedience to the Father, even unto death, so that we can have this today. And in the day of the resurrection, the last day, your day, fullness of life bodily, wherein we will say the fullness of the Godhead manifests fully in us bodily as in you, for we will see you as you are. Amen. Let us enjoy the communion together. You are our home You're the place we lay our heads And you're where we go for rest You are our home You're the place that we run to And you're the one that we hold on to There's no other could love us like you do There's no other Who could ever take the place of you 
going to be talking about the wrath of God that is mentioned in Romans uh, 1. We are now walking through Romans verse by verse and we are getting to Romans 1 verse uh, 18 wherein it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, man, I was thinking of this verse, and it is really a complicated verse to explain. There's a lot to understand in Romans, and that you have to have as a foundation, because if you don't have that, you will not understand that passage. Now, this passage flows into some really, what basically sounds as very condemning verses, things like, For what can be known of God is plain unto them, this is now verse 19, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely the eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory, that which resembles eternal life, of the immortal God into the image, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And if you read on, it goes on to say, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind, so they can dishonor their bodies amongst one another. And it goes on like that even Unto the last uh, verses, it says here um, in verse 32, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have pleasure in it. And then it talks about things like um, fornication, adultery, and all those kind of things. So these are difficult passages to explain. And I've 
prayed a lot about this and read through Romans, studied it out, and the Lord has over time revealed things to me about uh, about Romans and the context wherein it is. So I was hesitant to um, to preach about this, but I since I said I'm going to preach verse by verse through Romans, I got to this Sunday, and this is the time to preach about this. So I'm going to uh, give it my best shot in explaining what I see there, and uh, maybe we just get a little bit across today, and then next Sunday we continue with that. Uh, so let me just get to the first slide here. Um, okay, so just in, a, in what we're going to look at today, and I, I want to start with this. I mentioned a little bit about this last week, but then we lost sound. So I'm going to just backtrack a bit and talk about this. We need to understand the early church setting wherein people live, the the whole culture, and just have a little bit more of an idea on how things worked back then. Back then, everybody didn't have, everybody in the church didn't have a Bible that they could read. Uh, even the Old Testament, private people didn't possess those writings. They were in the synagogues. And then you could go there once a week and uh, maybe sometimes others when they were talking about it, and you could hear someone read the text to you. So uh, private reading was simply not there. Uh, people couldn't go and say, well, tonight I'm going to read through Isaiah and then read Isaiah at home. That, that didn't exist. The people who really knew Isaiah was people that was, and the young Hebrew boys that learned it off by heart and could recite it like we could a lot of us that come from the reformed churches we would have the apostles creed some of the uh, catholics we would have the creed and we would say the creed and memorize those things and as we memorize that we could say it again and uh, whenever we want to and as we would say that we get a bit of the gospel story there in the very same way, these folk, they memorized the scriptures. And it wasn't like, wow, look how intelligent they are. That was what they were taught from childhood. They would recite it all together. They would recite large passages of scripture all together, and they would know it. Now, when we look at the uh, writing of the New Testament, or the letters in the time of Paul, papyrus wasn't... Uh, as affordable as what paper is today. You couldn't just go down to, we've got a, a thing we call CNA or PNA, uh, which is a shop where they sell all, um, you know, papers and books and all those kind of things. You couldn't go down there and just buy yourself a hundred sheets of paper and write a letter to someone and send it. It wasn't done that way. They say, differing from the area, that between 5 and 20% of the people were literate. They could read. Not even all of them that could read could write. Not all of them were scribes. They could not write. So some of them could read. Some places, imagine just 5% of the people in a town or 10% or 20% can read. Today, about everybody can read. You will go to places and say, well, these people are illiterate. But in westernized countries, not I mean, most countries in the world, most of the people can read. 
Back then in Rome and in the times of, of Paul, not many could read. And what they would do is, in, as Paul would write in, in Greek or whatever language he wrote, he would write in Greek, he wrote in what is called uh, continuous scripture. That means that there was no spaces, basically no punctuation, no paragraphs, nothing. Just one long word, no, no paragraphs at all, no separation, just one long word that is five pages long or ten pages long. That is how they wrote. Then that letter was given to somebody who understood exactly the whole message. And then he would go and read the letter to the people. And then they would hear where the punctuation is, what is exactly said, what is meant. And I'm sure, this is just what I think would, would be practical, if people had questions, they could ask this person that knows exactly what the writer tried to communicate, and he would explain it to them. Sometimes I wish it was in those times that we can just really see what was uh, meant. Um, so we find that these writings, these letters, like Romans would be one of them, it was written all in just one long word, basically. I want to show you a slide there, and this slide is of a, a picture of some old Greek text. If Elena can bring it on, is it on? Okay, we're just going to... Um, Bring it on there. It is the one that says P46. So you will see there, this is P46, Papyrus 46. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 33 to 12, verse 9. It was about, um, they dated about 125 to 225, um, just after Christ. So you can see there that everything is looks to me like capital letters, and it is all one word. It is all one word. Now, I want to go, want you to go to the next slide there, and I want you to see what it basically would look like in English. Um, you will see there, I mean, you can read for yourself what is written there. I give you a moment just to see what, what is written there. Some would say, Jesus is nowhere. Some would say, Jesus is now here. And depending on from where in the United States you are, you might say, yes, us is nowhere, depending on how you read that. Okay, so when we look at that way of writing, it is really difficult. Uh, I mean, if I wanted to say, yes, us is nowhere, and I wanted to explain when our car broke down in the desert, it would have a completely different meaning than saying Jesus is nowhere. And it would again have a completely different meaning in saying Jesus is now here. So I, I think in the Greek they could make out more or less what was written, but I want you to see how important understanding was 
in that time and how it was communicated. It was communicated orally. There was an oral communication, and that is important to, uh, to see. I want to just make another point here. Um, St. Uh, Augustine was very impressed with St. Andrews because he could read without moving his lips. That means silent reading like what we are doing today. So we find in the early Middle Ages, we find people coming and saying that uh, here, here we find people reading quietly. There's no oral tradition anymore. It's starting to fade away. But in the old time, it was people reading aloud. As they read aloud, the, the, the people that heard it would also say it aloud and memorize it. So they had a certain message. Now, what's very important, what I want to bring across is this way wherein they communicated was done with some miracle that was that has just taken place. And that was that there was a man, Jesus Christ, that did the impossible. He was physically raised from the dead after mighty Rome killed him. And in his resurrection, he was basically declaring, I'm bigger than Rome. I'm bigger than any authority in this world. I make a public spectacle of them in them nailing me to the cross. And then I get raised from the dead, laughing at their power that they have and that they thought they had over me. I am Lord. That is the backdrop wherein everything is read. Everything in the New Testament must be read and understood in the light of this amazing truth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> with all of that said, this is the point that I want to make. Understanding something was of vital importance before you could communicate it. And the way we read today is we read silently. We take the Bible and we look at the words there and we read it and we don't do it in the presence of somebody or some or we haven't memorized it in a way wherein we are saying somebody who's, who has understanding is explaining these words to us. And I think a vital part of communicating the gospel got lost in just silent reading. I don't say that we should just do it orally and, and, and all of that. I, I don't say that. But I just think that we need to communicate this powerful understanding of the death and the resurrection and have that as a, as a bedrock from where we continue our gospel. Now, as a summary, before we get into those difficult passages, I want to bring to your attention the following. If you want to understand the scripture... This is very important. If you want to truly understand the gospel, this is very important. You need to know that you are a mortal being or that man, when he was made, was mortal. And that there was an immortal God that was promising eternal life to people. It was like God gave being to man and then he wanted to give eternal being to man as man would trust in him and believe upon him um, this promise was from the beginning this promise was from the beginning 
God from the beginning, from before he made any human, his plan was that he as an eternal ever living being will bring forth a being that's got a free will and a mind and through a free will and a mind and trust and reliance upon him, a being that is functioning like him will have access to the eternal existence that God has. That is the boundaries wherein we define the whole gospel. You need to understand that. Uh, I, I almost want to say if we cannot believe that, it would be very, very difficult to understand the gospel. Uh, I did not believe that when I got into the grace message. I did not believe that. I believed that I was just an eternal spirit. And I even preached after I was in the grace message and preaching a penalty substitutionary atonement gospel. I was saying, I am and all of us, we are going to live forever anyway. It just depends where we're going to live. You're either going to live in heaven or you're going to live in hell. But thank God for Jesus Christ that he fulfilled the law and made the way to heaven very easy. And that made me happy inside the paradigm wherein I defined myself as an eternal being, actually making God a liar. But it wasn't knowingly. I didn't know. And so many of us, we don't know that. We don't understand that. But if we want to understand the gospel the way Paul understood the gospel, we have to change the foundation from where we interpret everything. We need to see that there was an eternal God and he wanted people to be eternal. He wanted eternal beings. Then he made beings from the dust of the earth. And there's a lot to say about that, which I cannot get into now. And I'm not ready to even preach on that, although I do believe it with all my heart. There's certain things about Genesis and all of that that's very mind-blowing that we need to get. But before we get that, more important is this simple truth. Because some might say, these things are so complicated. Now, I wrote an article, and I started out the article saying, when fear speaks to me, and basically says, Bertie, why do you want to bring something that confuses the church further? They are already very confused. Just leave them the way it is, and just tell them God loves them all the time, and that's all. But that is not what I believe is a good foundation to have understanding of what God came to do. When we look at the foundation of the gospel, this is it. You need to know that there was an immortal, eternal being that wanted to give people eternal existence as physical human beings. That was what his dream was from the beginning. Then he created a, a man from the dust of the earth, which is all language talking about the mortality of this being. Then he took this mortal being and he promised eternal life unto him. This being did not believe it, walked in, in his mortality, didn't want to honor God for who he was, and didn't want this eternal life by God. And God gave him over to live that way. And from there we find all the pain and destruction and turmoil and hurt and sickness and disease and whatever you want to call it we find that flow from there that's what went wrong and then 
With that in mind, an eternal God went to a mortal man, promised him eternal life, wanted to give him eternal life. This person wasn't grateful. He, he, he knew everything he could know about God, but didn't want to accept it. And as he didn't want to accept it, God gave him over to live by the power of his own mortality, and that brought him to death. Now, that is a very sad thing. So how will we define good news? Good news would be that if God can come and bring forth a man that is in this condition of death, and that this man, as the first man that disobeyed, if he can come and now conquer death, and then appoint him, as what the first Adam was appointed to have rulership, that he appoints him to now rule with the eternal life, from where he takes everything that went wrong, talking about all the sins that are manifesting in the world, and all the bad, and all the hatred, and child trafficking, and um, drug dealing, and all, he he looks at all of those things in the world, and from all those transgressions, he brings people again to a place by his power, where everyone that believes in him, doesn't matter what they're busy with, doesn't matter if they are sex offenders, if they are um, thieves, if they are liars, if they are addicts, if they are Busy with, I saw uh, this one billionaire American now caught, and then a pastor as well, caught with child trafficking and all those kind of things. doesn't matter what they're busy with. As they believe upon the Lord, the rulership of life is greater than the power of their death. That person's life gets changed by the rulership of Jesus. And so God brings the world into the power of his son Jesus, and even if they die, he is busy working in the world, and in the last day, he will even raise them again bodily and grant them a birth from physical death, restoring, I don't even want to say restoring, creating, giving birth to a man that is then eternal, immortal, wherein dwells the fullness of God. That, my friend, that I'm sharing with you right now is the gospel. Now, Paul knew that, and we need to know that before we're going to understand Romans. So it's like somebody needs to understand it, and from the understanding, tell you, listen, as we read Romans... We can know where to put the punctuation. We can explain to you what Paul understood and and all those things, which sadly um, has fallen away in the church and has been uh, basically suppressed with a, a gospel that was either completely dead works orientated or a gospel which was completely the health and wealth prosperity kind of a gospel on the other side where we try to now rule as people in the kingdom of God uh, you know or into a gospel which was so uh, like a penalty substitutionary atonement gospel where is God is just smiling and happy and loving you which is already much closer to truth but as we can have understanding and we from the understanding can read the scripture, 
we will find that the scripture really opens up. Now, when we look at Romans, uh, Romans has got a very interesting thing about it. The foundation of Romans, and I've mentioned it now many times in my messages, the foundation of Romans is that is Paul correcting the people in Rome, the church in Rome, it's correcting them from the belief that they believe that God has rejected the Jews and now take the Gentiles and they are now God's new favorite people because the Jews didn't obey God. They crucified the Son of God with some of the officials in Rome, and now the Holy Spirit was also poured out on the Gentiles, and the church was exploding amongst the Gentiles, and now these Gentiles are saying, do you see God is doing mighty miracles amongst us? He's touching us, He's blessing us, and so forth, and these people are cut out. We are now God's people. And then they started to boast, not in the fact that they are saved by grace, but they started to believe that they, as, uh, uh, I don't want to say Romans, but as Gentiles, in their flesh, God sees them as a special people, and that's why they now uh, receive Jesus as their Messiah. These Gentile people were falling into the very same thing as what the Jews were in at that moment as well. So we just found that Paul... Um, wanted to correct that. And the way he was correcting that is an absolute masterpiece. I've heard people say this before, that Romans is one of the best pieces of literature ever written. I mean, if you, if you read Romans and you see how, and you start to understand what Paul was doing here, and it is just mind-blowing. It is an inspired of the Spirit of God book. It's almost as if a man in his own mind, I don't know how he can write uh, that way and how he can bring things in harmony uh, like that. It's like an orchestra, you know, with the, the violins and the, and the cello and the, I mean, there can be piano and the brass and the, all the uh, the flutes and everything coming in together, saying all the time the very same thing, bringing a beautiful music of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how Paul wrote. So Paul came and he saw that there was a problem in Rome. The problem in Rome was that the people were in the flesh. In the flesh was saying, well, I'm now in grace. I am saved by Jesus, but it's because I'm a Gentile. That's why. And he was actually now correcting that. And with that in mind, I want us to quickly go to Romans um, 1, verse 16. Now listen to this. Paul, when he, when he writes Romans 1, when he gets to verse 18, it's actually rhetoric. That's what he's busy with. He is telling a story in a way wherein he explains the whole fall of Adam and Eve, and then he basically says that is the fall of all of humanity. 
man fell in Adam, if you want to call it that way. It doesn't use the word fall. It just basically says that through the disobedience of one, uh, sin entered and death through sin and so forth. And he explains that in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he quickly hits the Jew there. Uh, wherein he says, well, you as Jews think that because you've got a law that says that you shouldn't do these things that came through Adam and Eve and their disobedience, that you have got a free pass now, but you are also sinning as the whole world is sinning, even if you have the law. So I want to just say that you are as dead as all. And he starts with this concept of all. All in, the, in Romans doesn't speak of every individual. It talks about all nations from where we can say all people. And that needs to be understood uh, before we can continue. Now, let's go to Romans 1 verse 16. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. Can you see how the parameters that I set in the beginning on what the gospel, wherein the gospel is defined. The gospel is just defined in there's an immortal God, that's it, and that wanted to give what he has bodily to people. He wanted a being called a human, and that being would have the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He would not be a servant, he would be a co-sharer in God, serving him with his life. Then the just shall live, have this promise by trusting in this God. That is all. (laughs) That's what God preached to Adam and Eve. That's what God preached to them. That's what God preached to uh, 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 Abraham. That's what God preached to Noah. That's what God preached to all of these folk. And then he brought the one that you could trust. He preached it even to Jesus. Although it was the word incarnated. He preached it to Jesus. Jesus believed the Father. And as he believed the Father, the Father made what he promised the man, Jesus, true. So that we all, through the simple one message, which is believe God and you will live, that we can have what he promised from the beginning. Hallelujah. Now, I'm I'm running out of time. Um, But see what he says here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Now, I was already saying to these Greeks and people living in Rome of different gender, he was saying, listen, this gospel is for all people, already coming with a correction there. He says, for in this gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. In other words, from the belief of what God has promised, unto which is that Jesus is raised from the dead, unto the faith that we shall also be raised from the dead. Another way we can uh, that I need to go and study out there can also believe from the faith that the Jews had, unto the faith that the Gentiles also believe, which 
um, which I think can be, we, we can just go and study that out. But I believe it's more about from the faith that Jesus was raised from the dead unto the faith that we shall have the same resurrection. And this is true for Jew and Gentile. That's what he starts here. Now listen, why he concludes it is true for Jew and Gentile. It's for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, man, how, how does Paul make the conclusion that since the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men, therefore, I conclude that the gospel is for all people. How does he say, since the wrath of God is against all unrighteousness and of, of all men, that the gospel would be for all? He simply says this. Anybody who, since God said, I don't care who you are, if you don't believe in me, you will not be able to live forever. You will, you will have existence now, or you will have being, and uh, if you don't believe in me, you will not have well-being. You will start to struggle with things you don't want to struggle with, things that is very destructive. Like I look at some, uh, some people here, they, the other day, that a guy took a knife and put it to a child at the school here, waiting outside of the school for a mom to pick her up, against her throat and robbed her of her cell phone and money, whatever, I don't know, just robbed them. They caught the guy. But, you know, if you don't believe in the resurrection power of Jesus and you, you trust him for life, you will try to have your own life and you will have to take life to have your own life. And that's why you'll want to take the life of someone else. You'll find all these very bad things happen to you. You will be given over. You, you will be walking in your reprobate mind or in your wrong belief, which is I do or by my own works I must live. So Paul, what God is saying, I don't care who it is. This is Paul's, Paul's conclusion. I find that the Gentiles are dying. And I find that the Jews are dying. And the wrath of God is basically that God says, and next week we'll get into this, the wrath of God is basically God saying that should you not make use of my life since you have existence, don't think that your existence is an eternal existence. For if you think that, I want to tell you, you will surely die. So can you see how the whole parameter is? There's an immortal God that wants to give eternal life to mortal people. What was his warning to Adam? You will die. Then Paul takes what happened in Adam and say, these people are without excuse. They knew everything they could know about God. But then they didn't want to obey him or thank him. But they became wise in their own eyes. This is Adam and Eve now. And in their own eyes, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the glory of the mortal. So they said, we don't want to be the image. On, we don't want to be an image of 
immortality, meaning that immortality indwells us so that we can have the glory of God, but we will rather have the image or bear the image of mortality standing in the power of ourselves. That is what is going on here. And Paul has got that in mind. And with that in mind, he's now writing Romans 1. And he says, I see that all people are dying. And then he knows that Jesus died and that he was raised. And from there he has got the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ of all people. Hallelujah. And that is what's happening here. It goes on. You can now go and read through all of Romans 1 verse, Romans 1 from 18 up until the end. That is basically what this is all about. We, all that it does is it just goes into great detail of how all of this works. Now, now for me to find my slide now with this apple. Okay. See, when you talk about Adam and Eve and that, and it's an apple, you know, that's already bitten. (laughs) It can be a sign. Right. So, when we look at Romans 5, let us go to Romans 5, and then next week, or we're going to, like I said, next, um, well, this is a a pre recording I'm making. I've made another one. Uh, I've made one yesterday, and it didn't come out just right. I said to Elena, man, I feel that thing is not anointed. I feel it's dead. So I'm going to remake it. So uh, this, the day I'm recording, this is Saturday evening here um, that I'm recording this. Um, And and I said in the in the basically in the previous recording that as we look at these things, (laughs) we cannot but come to the conclusion. That the gospel is not a very big thing. It's a very small. Narrow. Narrow is the road. Just the one man, Jesus, and trust him. That is what it's all about. And as we read through this, we we cannot but conclude that Romans 1 is actually a story of Adam and Eve and the fall of man. When you look at Romans 5, it says... There, I want to read from verse 12, and I want to see, I'm, going to, I'm quickly going to take Romans 5 and bring it into Romans 1 and see how these things line up. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, nevertheless, verse 13, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. And I believe there he's referring and just helping the Jews again, because Adam did not believe God, uh, you know, and he brought death. And then it says here, that, but death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who were these people? Uh, who didn't sin after the similitude of Adam's transgression? It was Abraham, and Abraham believed God. He believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. But I think Paul cleverly, this is why I say this is a masterpiece, he cleverly uh, addresses what would be in his opponent, which would be the Jewish people's minds, because they would quickly say, ah, listen, you see, that your argument is that death reigned, or that uh, 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 through the disobedience of Adam, this came. But we, our father Abraham was obedient, and he is our father. 
excusing themselves from this condemnation of death. But he said that this death even reigned over those who did not sin in the similitude of Adam. And he is in that way of writing, quickly telling the Jews, ah, don't exclude yourself from this death. You as Jews need the Messiah to save you from death as much as what the Gentiles do. We all are in this very same boat. Who is the figure of him that was to come? Talking about uh, Adam being a figure of the one that was to come, saying that the effect that Adam had was on all people, including Abraham and his descendants, and Jesus is now also in the same power, that he, his power is now for all people, Jew and Gentile. Can you see how he's addressing this thing of the Jews thinking they are special? We'll get into that when we get to Romans uh, uh, 11 especially. In Romans 5.18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came unto all men, to condemnation, which was death, even so, by the righteousness of the one, the free gift came unto all men, unto the justification of life. <laughs> condemnation here means death. So it says, Adam disobeyed, and it brought death to all people. But Jesus, through his obedience and his gift of righteousness, it came unto all men, unto the justification of what? Of the resurrection, giving all people life. Right. Now let's see if we can read this. I'm going to use five minutes extra. Let's see if we can read this in the, uh, in the following passages. Romans 1 verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the gospel you know is the resurrection of Christ, the righteousness or the good act of God or what he has promised from the beginning, the fact that he is right, we will get into that when we get to chapter 3. Of God is revealed from faith, the faith that he was raised, unto the faith that we shall also be raised. As it is written, the just, who's the just? The believer, shall live and not die. How? By the faith that they can say, I believe God and that his life can be mine. Verse 18, for the wrath of God, and now this is his conclusion, because, this is true, because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For that can be, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world. I believe he's talking about in the back of his mind, I get the feeling uh, like the guy who would uh, read this to the people in Rome. I believe his understanding would have been in his writing to Paul. Paul, what are you thinking here? Uh, although it's not written directly, I think the back of, in the back of Paul's mind is Adam and Eve. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, 
can you see he's talking about the nature of God, which is an immortal nature and his eternal power? Can you see how the focus is on eternal life? Eternal power, uh, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So he says God created everything. He showed his power and showed that he's a life giver. He's a creator and he says, Trust me, I can give you eternal life. Adam and Eve did not believe that. For though they knew God, they knew God. They knew. Who knew God? Who walked with God in the cool of the day? Adam and Eve. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by the Jews was also called the tree of wisdom. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, that which resembles eternal life, of the immortal God. Can you see how the context is immortality, the immortal God? And he wanted to give that to them. Change the glory of the immortal God for Images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God, because, and this is the whole story of the Garden of Eden. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, let me put them out of the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. What was that? It was, that is another way of saying he gave them over to their own belief to live in that belief. To bear the fruit of their own doing. Therefore God gave them over to the, to the lusts in their heart. To impurity. To the dishonoring of bodies amongst themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Now when Paul talks about the lie. What is he talking about? I believe in the back of his mind he's referring to Genesis. When the, the father of all lies came and lied. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then it says there, it goes on to verse 32, which says, knowing the judgment of God, which was, listen guys, if you eat of this, you're going to die. Knowing the judgment of God, they didn't obey. And then we find through all of humanity, things started to happen that's worthy of death. Can you see again, life and death. Now the death and the resurrection starts to make sense. Glory to God. Well, uh, I want to thank you that I could have ministered this. I feel much better now after preaching this message. It really is something that will bless you greatly. Take the time. Listen to this three, four, five times. If you have the time to do that. Please, my friend, listen to this three, four, five times and let it wash your heart. There's a lot of things. But the moment you start to make a shift in belief systems, it becomes, uh, um, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult. But as you continue, like one person said to me, one, one of our supporters, he, he came to me, he says, Bertie, I, I started to support you, but what I did was I listened. You've had 900 messages on your website. We've listened to the 900 messages a few times. And they're, Lives were changed. They, every time, almost every time I speak to them, they say to me, it changed our lives. Thank you so much. And I want to say to you, thank you that you allow me to serve you, 
And I trust that this message greatly blesses you and gets you to think deeper about these things. God loves you and He will always love you. We might have a, a live broadcast um, this coming Sunday. Maybe not. We're going to try to see if we can stream it live from Uganda. So I will be this Sunday. Hopefully we can stream live from Uganda. If not, I will just put a message in there that you guys can watch. Thank you and God bless you. Stand on the outside There's grace